Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip and commentary. You can't beat the sound of a contented cat. That's why veterinary surgeon and natural pet food pioneer John Burns developed Burns Pet Nutrition. Because he knows the positive impact a natural diet has on our beloved pets. And our premium cat food is designed to satisfy even the most finicky eaters. For natural, no nasty, wholesome recipes, choose Burns Pet Nutrition. Available from veterinary clinics and all good pet shops across Ireland. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You ready? No. <laughs> My best friend is an Irish heiress. She was royalty from Ireland. She had a huge inheritance coming. We're talking $30 million. But it turns out Mayor Smith is not who she appears to be. She wanted to pursue being a psychic full time. One of her big clients was Jennifer Aniston. She wanted me to go into the sex toy industry with her. She had multiple men paying her for sex. She would do witchcraft for her clients. Mayor Smith is actually an international con artist. I'm Nicola Talent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. When Irish heiress Marianne Mayor Smith walked in the door of Jonathan Walton's L.A. apartment, neither of them could have guessed what lay ahead. For reality TV maker Jonathan, Mare came across charming, successful and well-connected, and he was quickly drawn into her world where she was forever on the brink of inheriting a vast fortune from Ireland. But Mare was no lady, and instead of being his friend, she tricked him out of money with her tall tales and her tangled web of lies. But what Mare Smith didn't realise was that Jonathan wasn't like the countless other victims she had defrauded, and instead, he would go on to become a thorn in her side. Today, the producer of a hit podcast series tells me the amazing story of Mayor Smith and how he turned the tables on the Queen of the Con. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. So, Jonathan, a little bit about yourself, first of all. You're um, a producer, you were a reporter. I laughed at the beginning of the podcast at your uh, <laughs> your earlier work that the, the, new, the new owners came in and decided that your style of journalism wasn't for them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was the morning show feature reporter at the CBS station in Houston, Texas, which is a big city. It's the 10th largest market in, in the United States. And... 
in my mind, I had arrived, you know, I majored in journalism in school and a feature reporter. I don't know if they call it the same thing over in Ireland, but like my job was covering the fun things in the city, the interesting human interest stories you know, or the donut eating contests. Or in Houston, they had a, a cockroach festival with cockroach races and stuff. A lot of crazy fun things that I was there for five years at that station and a few years at a couple stations before that. And I loved, it was my career. I loved it. But yeah, I got a new boss who hated me and didn't think, you know, the news should have uplifting fun stories. It should just be murders and car wrecks and crime. So uh, yeah, he fired me to his detriment because (laughs) in the five years I was there, the morning show ratings went from, we went from fifth place to first place. Cause I remember when he was firing me, I'm like, but we're number one. We're finally number one. And you're firing me. Like I'm the problem. Like it made no sense to me. And short, you know, two years after he fired me, he got fired for dragging the ratings of the station down. So, you know, sweet justice. it made, it was satisfying. And I'm grateful he fired me because it moved me out to LA and I started producing, you know, uh, reality shows like Shark Tank and American Ninja Warrior, some of the biggest ones I've worked on. And I met my husband my first day here and fell madly in love. And that was 14 years ago. Hard to believe. Yes. Yeah, so all for the best. Yeah. And it was there. And while you're working away on these reality shows and uh, you see your your work life as being somewhere outside of your home life. Yes. Um, your condo came into some sort of a dispute over a swimming pool, which sounds like an absolutely amazing water world, actually. But uh, your condo wasn't allowed to use this swimming pool anymore. The residents came together, I think, in your apartment Mm -hmm. and you all got together to try and work out how you were going to get access to this pool again. Um, Yes. And one of the guests that you met that night at your your house, too, was uh, a woman called Mayor Smith. Mayor Smith. And she was a delightful, lovable, charismatic, fun woman with blue sparkling eyes and a a friendly smile. And she had jokes and she was irreverent and she told dirty jokes and everyone loved her. And I loved her. I loved her the most. And she was magical. And she she had the answer to our problem, you know, and looking back, that's the red flag. Now that I've become an expert in cons and I'm working on dozens of other cases because of what happened to me, I'm helping other people with their cons um, and their con artists. Um, Con artists look for a way in and nine out of 10 times they offer to help. They, they They can help you, whether it's help you find love or help you make money or help you through whatever situation you're going. That's an entry. So she used, looking back, she used that issue that we all needed help with and she had the solution. And she didn't just scam me, as you heard in the podcast, she scammed other neighbors who were there that night too. And even others who never want to come forward and admit what happened to them, which is the other problem I'm battling. Nobody wants to admit they got conned. Uh, I am an anomaly. You know, I not only admitted it, I made a podcast about it, but, you know, really in service to help people understand how these things happen. Mm. Um, I went online. I created a website and a blog to share my story and other victims of hers contacted me. I started my own investigation and uncovered 45 victims, including the Northern Ireland collection. Nothing came to me. Nothing was online about her. Uh, The only criminal records she had were in like two other names, Marianne uh, Welch and Marianne Andel, not Marianne Smith. I didn't even know, you know, like 
So, well, do you know, funny, Jonathan, in, in my job and, you know, I imagine over these last few years, you have become a far more cynical person than you were back in 2013. Um, when I Google somebody and they don't have any digital footprint, that's a red, that's flag. A red flag to yes. me. It is. It absolutely you know, is. It absolutely is. Cynicism isn't something to be proud of. It's just something maybe that comes with meeting people of lower, lesser morals than yourself over yes. a long period of time. Yes. But just to go back to 2013, and she appeared at your party and announced pretty much to all and sundry that she was in a relationship with a very powerful politician who was yes. also a lawyer. Yes. And he was going to be able to fix this problem for you. And she she was really very charming, wasn't she? Oh, my God. She was delightful. And, you know, I fell in love with her as much as any gay man can fall in love with a woman. I fell in love with her because, you know, she seems so so nice and kind and offering to help, you know, I'm 47 years old now. And the most attractive quality still to me is kindness. Kind people move me. When I see people go out of their way to help someone else, it, it touches me so deeply and I'm drawn to it and I admire it. And I, I want to be like that. Um, so th that's the image. And again, looking back, I was played. She, she must've known that, you know, she must have known that, that I'm like a do-gooder. I mean, she did because the only reason we were gathered in my apartment, the only reason all the residents came together, that was my doing. I put flyers up everywhere. I rallied everyone together for this cause to get our, our pool back. This was an injustice I was trying to write. So I think she, look, and again, I have chills talking. I think she zeroed in on that immediately. It's like, you know what? I'm going to use this guy's do-good nature to scam him. He's going to do good for me to help me, but I'm going to be taking all of his money. That was her plan from day one. So looking back, that's probably why she presented that. I'm so kind. Let me help you get a job. Let me help you do this. Let my politician boyfriend help us get the pool back. We can do it. You know, she was so kind appearing. Had you been in the pool? Oh, yeah. Oh, you had? Okay. No, because I wondered how you didn't realize it was salt water. I didn't realize. Well, because I didn't, I didn't drink any, but... <laughs> You know, uh, no, I've been to that pool many times, specifically also the jacuzzi. There's this giant jacuzzi. If you go to my website, jonathanwalton.com, and click on podcasts and extras and scroll down, I post a picture of the pool. I mean, it's impressive. It's got like, you know, three or four, five swimming lanes. It's huge. And it was mm. heated, which, you know, at night, it's nice to swim. You see the steam come up. I didn't realize it was salt water until uh, that attorney explained it to me. But yeah, it's nice. Oh, a saltwater pool is is just lovely because I think it's better for your mm -hmm. for everything you, for everything, you know everything yeah. about it. Chlorine's bad for you, I think. But anyway, I just noticed that you you weren't aware of that, and I was wondering. Um, moving on from that evening, um, you became very close to this Mayor Smith. She told you a lot about herself. She told you she was Irish, that she was an heiress, and due to inherit a twenty five million dollar fortune. Yes, and another looking back. Uh, this is another way she got deep into my life very quickly. And that's another red flag of a con. They have to get into your life quickly because the longer you have, the more likely you are to uncover some lie, which leads to another lie, which leads to another lie. So another technique she used when I confided in her that I'm gay and, you know, my family, part of my family had disowned me back in 2013. She told me, well, my family disowned me too. And you know, they're, they're trying to get me disinherited. Uh, look at this text 
my cousin Finton sent me. And she'd show me the text on her phone from Finton. It said, Finton, you know, you effing C word, you know, see you next Tuesday. Um, and just expletive laden, hateful texts about she'll never get a, a farthing or, you know, which is I had to Google uh, uh, money, like a coin or something over there. Uh, a, fa- a farthing. Um, and I just, I, I felt for her immediately, you know, we were two discarded souls here in Los Angeles whose families don't want them. And that bonded me so close, so quickly to her. And that was her plan. I fell, I fell for it, you know, and a lot of people are like, well, you're stupid. You should have known that text from Finton was fake. And you, you know, when someone shows you a text, like, do you suspect they invented a Google account to text themselves to sell you a story? I never, but now I do. <laughs> now I don't believe anything. Now I know anyone can make a Google account and create. So you, you cannot believe what you see on someone's phone or believe an email is what I learned. So what, what was her story? Well, she had moved to the United States years ago from Ireland because her family hates her uh, because, you know, she abandoned the family. Uh, she had a framed Irish constitution on parchment paper with fancy writing on her wall that she said her great, great uncle was a signatory and the founder of Ireland. And she said she was, you know, royalty from Ireland. She said she's royalty over there. And I know Irish people and people in the UK and Northern Ireland, uh, I have that, that distinction now. I know Northern Ireland and Ireland, two different places. They're like, well, how could Jonathan believe that? There is no royal family in Ireland. That's stupid. Well, I have news for you, Ireland. Here in America, we don't know much about the rest of the world, uh, you know, and that's sad and horrible. And I'm ashamed to admit that. But but, you know, it's American culture that is spread everywhere and not vice versa, sadly. So my own ignorance of Ireland is one of the reasons I just accepted what she said at face value. I didn't know Ireland doesn't have a royal family or a constitution with signatories like I didn't know that either. And I didn't know Northern Ireland and Ireland are two different countries and neither do most Americans, even, you know, when we got to the trial and by that point, I was an expert. Of course, I knew Ireland is the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland is part of the UK. But the judge, the district attorney and her attorney kept conflating the two and it drove me crazy. I kept correcting them. No, 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 no. Northern Ireland's part of the UK. Ireland's a whole separate country. Her story was embedded in the troubles in Northern Ireland that her family, some of her family and herself had got political uh, asylum basically in the US. Yeah, she had IRA connections. Yeah, and her family's IRA and her grandmother taught her how to hurl Molotov cocktails on British soldiers as a child. And I just, I was stunned. Like that's quite a history. And, to, 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 and I'm imagining what it must be like to be a, a little girl watching your grandmother throw Molotov cocktails on soldiers. It's you know, it was so fantastical. How could it be fake? It has to be real, right? That's quite a specific story to tell. But I believed it. I believed it 100 percent. And everyone did. And also she was she was, um, you know, she was putting herself forward as a very independently wealthy woman who was, oh. of course, due this inheritance. But her family in Ireland were out to thwart her getting that. But she was nonetheless. You could see that she was wealthy. She was treating you to nights out. Oh, yeah. She was always buying the best of everything. And she was yeah. living in a really good part of L.A. Yeah. And she eventually quickly moved out of my building into a really expensive building where the rent was like triple what I was paying. And um, it was a, a new plush luxury apartment 
The rent was $6,000 a month, which I don't know what the equivalent is in, in British pounds or euros. Or She had um, Manolo Blahniks, those shoes, and um, Jimmy Choo's, which are like $1,200, $1,500 shoes in this country. And she would show me a closet with hundreds of them, hundreds of them. And one time, my husband and I are looking at each other like, that's $300,000 at least worth of shoes in her closet alone. But looking back, that was all her plan, to, to stage us at that closet, to show her hundreds of pairs of Jimmy Choo's. Um, she wanted to sell wealth, and she did. We bought it. We mm. thought she was super wealthy. Yeah, and that was her plan. Now, she told you that um, her inheritance had one clause to it, that if she was convicted of a felony, that she wouldn't receive it. Yes. Um, and she was working at the time for a very high-end tourism company selling holidays to the Pacific Islands. Yes. And she, now you knew her for a long time before this happened, just so as people know, you were you were in, uh, friends with her for at least a year. Yeah. At which time she had shared documents with you. She'd showed you emails in relation to this inheritance, in relation to this clause. Mm-hmm. And you, I think, had actually warned her that your family are going to try and set you up. And that is the brilliance of her con isn't it? Mm. She got me to, to, to verbalize and fall for the con because, you know, I'd worked in the news business here for a, a 10 years and I, I, I'd read stories about, you know, husbands killing their wives or vice versa for insurance policies. And we were talking millions of, of euros, millions of dollars at stake. Of course, they would try to set her up. She told me that clause if I'm ever convicted of a felony. And she also told me earlier that her her cousin and family got her a job in L.A. because they're friends with the owner of Pacific Islands Travel. So I immediately connected the dots and I said, they're going to try to frame you because this is a lot of money we're talking about. It would take nothing. If they're friends with the owner of the company, he can make it look like you stole something. So she had me telling her the con that I would fall for and did fall for Brilliant mm. looking back. Evil genius is what she is. And I walked right into it. And sure enough, she did phone you one yeah. day and she was banged up and she was looking to be uh, bailed out of prison. Mm-hmm. And she had been arrested in connection with a fraud within that company, she told you, that she'd nothing to do with. She was been accused of having embezzled funds to the tune of $200,000. Yeah. Um, and she needed a loan of 40 grand bail bond to get her out. 4,200. So yeah, the the bail was 70,000. And every bail bondsman I went to uh, said at least 7,000 cash to get her out. But the politician who I called for help said, hey, my guy, I know a guy, he'll do it for $4,200, 4,200. So that's what I did. I paid 4,200 and got her out of jail because yeah, I was incensed. And this is exactly what I told her would happen. Your family set you up. And, you know, of course, none of that was true, but Mm. uh, I fell for it. But the politician existed. And I notice in the podcast, you're very careful to protect the identity of the politician because I think he has proceeded to help you with information. And presumably I'm gathering between the lines he was conned himself. Oh, yeah. He paid you back that money that you had loaned her. Yes. He said it was her money. Yeah. But it wasn't her money. She was scamming him too. But I had no idea. He shows up the next day and pays me back the 4200 This is for mayor. Okay. So immediately 
you know, and again, that's classic con technique. You, you, you wet your beak. You give the victim back a little of their money up front to make them confident to continue. And I was confident. At that point, I would have loaned her anything thereafter because she's in trouble. I love her like a sister. I'm going to help her. I'm a do-gooder, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, as, as the time went on, she was then able to show you other documents or certainly on email to say yeah. that this case against her was, there was nothing to it, basically, that there had been no backup to the suggestions that she had taken this money from the company and that the case would be dropped, basically. Yes. Yeah. And again, how many times, yes. How many times has someone shown you an email from someone to say this or that you just accepted at face value. And that's what I did. And she would show me emails from her barristers in Ireland about the inheritance. And, you know, there were always weird names and signatures and it seemed legitimate to me. Never for a second did I think everything was a hoax, Mm-hmm. But she was a full-time con artist who spent her time creating dozens of email accounts and Google texting accounts to create these, you know, personalities and e- email and text herself and show pe- show her victims conversations that never really happened. Now, as your your life goes on, basically, she she comes back to you again. She does get herself into more trouble with the law. And she comes back to you a second time. Just explain to me what happened when she came back to you the next time looking for money. And this time, of course, you're very willing to help her because you'd been paid back the first lot. Yes. And, you know, I believe she is, you know, in a, in a fight for this inheritance, millions of dollars with her evil family. And I love her. You know, at that point, we were, you know, more than three years into our friendship and we're ending phone calls with, I love you. I love you. She was like a sister to me. She was family to me. So I was determined to help her. And when she told me her family is, has paid off some dirty district attorney in Los Angeles to freeze her bank accounts and she doesn't have access to any of her money and she's crying, she's crying, she's bawling, she's in hysterics, convulsing, and I'm hugging her and her tears are wetting my shirt and my shoulder. I believed her. You know, never for a second did I think that's all a lie, but my God, what an Oscar worthy performance because I believed her and I started loaning her more money to live on because her accounts were frozen. You know, she couldn't, I paid her rent in that expensive building and I helped her move into a cheaper building, i.e. my building, move back in. And I gave her money, you know, loaned her money to live on. I wasn't worried at all. I believed we were going to win this fight. I believed she was going to get millions of dollars and pay me back and, you know, live happily ever after. And so what happened? Well, I started loaning her, you know, up to like $20,000 cash out of my bank account. And then she tells me one day, listen, um, the district attorney is going to drop the case uh, and I can get my inheritance. I just need to pay court fees of $54,000, which that sounds like a lot of money, $54,000 for court fees. But if you, I, you know, I'd never been to court criminal court other than like a traffic ticket for speeding 20 years before. So I know lawyers are expensive. I did try to hire a lawyer one time to review a contract and he wanted $10,000 to look at it. So I knew like 54,000 for this big thing. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So I didn't have any more cash in my checking account. Uh, and I, so I let her charge, I had another four grand. So I gave her four grand and I let her charge my credit cards, $50,000 to pay the 54,000. And immediately everything was fine. 
the inheritance is on the way. Everything is going to be good. Uh, and I was happy and she was happy. But that was that was short lived. Because she was put into jail again. Yes, because uh, a few weeks later, she tells me she's got to go to jail for 30 days. And I'm like, what? She explains that the judge is mad at her for letting her charge my credit cards to pay her court fee. He calls it money laundering and he says she should know better. And that is a crime. But I'm not going to you know, charge you with a crime. You're just going to spend 30 days in jail as a slap on the wrist. So you don't do anything like that again. And again, I was not familiar with the criminal courts or the criminal justice system. I, that, is that money laundering? If you go through, you know, I was like an intermediary. Like it made sense to me. I just believed it. Okay. 30 days in jail. All right. That sucks. But at the end of 30 days, you'll get out and get your inheritance and things will be good. And I'm pep talking her. It's not going to be so bad. Like I look back and I want to punch myself in the face because she's laying down the con and I'm pep talking her. It's just going to be 30 days in jail. You'll get out of it. It'll be, you know, it'll be a blip in your history. You will, you know, you good times lay ahead. Ah, yeah. I walked right into that one too. And it was when she was in jail that you you went online to was it were you going in to visit her or were you going to you, you wanted to you wanted to visit her I think in jail wasn't that how you discovered that's the thing and I guess when they say love conquers all this wasn't a definition they had in mind but really it was love my love for her that did her in because she's calling me she's in jail for thirty days every day she's calling me collect to tell me how it's going. And I tell her, I want to come visit you. Oh, no, no, no. I don't want you to see me like this. I'm in a jail uniform. I'm so embarrassed. No, no, no. But this is like a sister. So of course I ignore her. Two weeks in, I I, I want to visit her. So I, I've never visited anyone in jail. It's a complicated process. You have to log in, in, in Los Angeles. You have to log on to the jail's website. You have to create a profile. You have to upload your identification. Then you have to select the inmate you want to visit. And I did all of that, selected her name, and then it had her profile and what she was convicted of. And it said she was convicted of grand theft. And immediately, like, this heat came over me. Like, I was just like a, like a, like a, like a wave of heat washed over me and I was, but that, that's a, that, that can't be true. She, she, it's a, it's a slap on the wrist. There's no felony. There's not grand theft. What, this doesn't make any sense to me. So even at that point, I didn't believe it. I thought it must be a clerical error, but I knew I had to know. I knew I had to know. So I dropped what I was doing. I took the day off of work. I went down to the courthouse and I pulled all the records for this case, this fake case that her family was had against her that was supposedly dropped, Right. That's what she told me. This case was dropped and everything's fine. So I got all the records. It's like, you know, a couple hundred pages, you know, because this case had drug on for like two years. So there are a lot of court appearances and filings and motions and continuances. And I start reviewing the records and I quickly realize, oh my God, everything she said to me about this case is a lie. Nobody froze her bank accounts. She pled guilty to stealing $200,000 from Pacific Islands, and she scammed me to pay restitution in that case so she would only get a 30-day jail sentence and not five years. Because what sucks about the criminal justice system, and I imagine it's this way in Ireland as well, if white-collar crimes are not you know, considered that bad, 
And if you've stolen a lot of money and you can show the court that you're going to pay it back, they'll go really easy on you. They'll take your word. So the court took her word. Meanwhile, she scammed me to pay back some of the 200 grand she stole. And yeah, that's what I knew that then I just realized I got scammed. Like she lied to get all this money from me. And what do I do now? Other than, you know, go home and cry to my husband. And I feel uh, guilty and, and responsible and how, you know, how we're never going to get this money back. And how did I fall for this? But still, even at that low point and that realization, I didn't know she was an international con artist with dozens of victims all over the world. I just knew she scammed me. You know, that's and in so many ways, really, Jonathan, this is where the story turns and, yes. you know, where all of a sudden all the skills you do have mm-hmm. as a producer and reality TV, you realize that pretty much you've been living in a, a situation that would be very entertaining on reality TV. So that's, <laughs> I think, where the first time I hear on the podcast where you press record, which is something that comes totally naturally to you to record things. You go and collect her from jail and you bring her home and you have the whole thing recorded on your iPhone when you confront her. And I am grateful, voice memo, I'm grateful to Steve Jobs for the iPhone and voice memos because it has served me well. Yeah, I pick her up from jail and I'm pretending like I don't know what I know. You know, I only know she scammed me. I didn't know she's a con artist. So I draw, you know, I fight the urge to strangle her. Um, I play it cool. Yeah, and after I you know, take her to her car and I hand her her stuff that she asked me to look after while she was in jail, uh, I confront her and I say, you scammed us. You know, everything you told us is a lie. And immediately, like, like that scene from Ghost would do me more where the tears well up in her eyes, tears well up in her eyes. And she's like, that's not true, Jonathan. That's not true. That's not true. And I was stunned because for a moment... I wanted to believe her. I wanted to believe her. I thought for a second, wait a minute, wait a minute, Jonathan, could I be wrong? Am I mistaken here? Because she seemed, she's so convincing. But then I'm like, no, she did this cry thing before and it's all lies. I have the proof in my hands, the court records. This is everything she told me about the case is a lie to get money out of me. And, hmm. you know, I said, you got to, you're, you're going to pay us back. And I was naive. I thought I could put the fear of God into her and scare her into paying us back. But I didn't know she's an inveterate con artist who never pays anyone back. And I was just another. Yeah. And listening to the confrontation, um, you can kind of hear how she's just, you know, it's just she's caught and that's it. And she just doesn't care. It's just she's clearly been caught before. She knows how to walk away from it. She has no feelings towards you. I think... It's probably a learning curve for you because you're hoping that she's going to feel so bad about this, she'll get the money back to you, but she doesn't feel bad at all. And you want to hear the craziest truth about human nature and about myself, and I'm even scared to say this out loud. Uh, Mm. Had she, if she'd have just apologized to me and said, I'm sorry, I was wrong or something, I would not have gone to police. Mm. You know, I would have tried to work it out with her. I would have believed her. She would have bought more time. She would have got away. Like, you know, people just want to be when you're when you wrong someone, they want an apology. And if you can give them an apology that's sincere or I'm sure she could sell a sincere one, uh, I would not have gone to police. And, I, you know, in the days after that confrontation, this is not in the podcast. Uh, we have a text exchange 
where I tell her, I can't believe you did what you did and you're not even sorry. And she rambled on and on. I just got out of jail. I'm in no state. I'm living on the streets now. I don't, meanwhile, that wasn't true. She was living with Bob and scamming Bob, the Newport Beach engineer that you later find out about in the podcast. But, you know, and I just kept reiterating, you're not even sorry. Well, I don't know this or that. And, and then after like the sixth or seventh incarnation of her, her telling me, you know, she's not going to apologize. I'm like, you know what? F you. I'm going to police. And she's like, do what you feel you have to do. And I'm like, yeah, I'll see you in criminal court. And by golly, that is what came to pass. Well, she probably knew a little bit more about the system than you did at that yes. point, because when you did make the complaint, it wasn't really taken that seriously. They said to you, you'd given the money willingly. When you pointed out that she had told lies to get it, they took it a little bit more seriously. But it basically sat on a file and you couldn't get an investigating officer to get in charge of the case. And you had to kind of go investigating yourself. I which did. Is when you set up your blog. Yeah, because initially they wouldn't even take a report. They wouldn't even take a report. He looked me in the eye and said, this is not a crime. You gave her the money. And thank God, like you mentioned earlier, my producing skills came to my rescue because I wasn't just Joe Q public off the street with a crazy story. I had evidence. I had pages and pages that I'd printed out of bank records and text messages and email exchanges. And I had witness statements from other people who could verify what I am saying. And I had, I'd written up a detailed affidavit and a timeline. And by the time I dumped all of this on the officer's desk, uh, he reluctantly said, all right, all right, I'll take a report, but I don't think there's much we can do. So at that point, I was like, you're not going to do anything? Well, I will. And I just, yeah, I used every resource at my disposal. The, you, know, I'm a, you know, I'm a TV producer and a former news reporter. And like you, I imagine, you're a quick study. I'm a quick study. If I need to learn, you know, every show is a new opportunity to learn a new set of things. So I got to get up to speed really quickly to make a living, you know, because I've produced 28 shows over the past 14 years, which is crazy when you think about it. That's a lot of different shows, a lot of things I'm an expert on that may never come in handy ever again. But in this instance, I'm a quick study. So I, I, I started a website to tell my story in the hopes of preventing other people from getting scammed by her. I didn't know there'd be other victims. I just thought she did this to me. She's probably going to scam somebody else. So be warned. And as victims started contacting me with crazy stories of how she scammed them under a different name, I would add the new name to the blog and by the time it was all over, I'd uncovered like 23 different aliases. She was Marianne Smith, Marianne Welch, Mayor Ellis, Mayor Clark. She, she, you know, impersonated celebrities and impersonated lawyers. And my God, it just, my head was spinning, you know, mm. a year into my investigation, it literally took a year to make me realize, wait a minute, there's a Hollywood movie here. There's a podcast here. This, I would not believe any of this, but it's happening to me. It's real. Mm -hmm. Now, for someone who binged your The Queen of the Con, and I just absolutely couldn't stop listening once I started, I find that when you set up this blog and when you do start applying yourself to this woman in only the way maybe a producer can, yeah. it gets quite dark. You know, I, you know, I stopped kind of, I had a lot of laughs along the way. You've, you're very self-deprecating and, you know, your experiences are funny and you have a great way of putting a little bit of comedic value on them. 
But as you start really delving into who this woman is, things do get dark and pretty sinister. Um, yeah. The boyfriend she had at that time, you know, they managed to, it was his nanny that saw your blog, was it? Or his ex-wife saw the blog. His ex-wife got curious. And alerted him. Yeah. But I mean, that man was going to be done out of, he was on the verge of being done out of everything he had. You know, potentially millions of dollars because she, and it's just amazing how far you can get with confidence and a smile. Um, Mm. She had tricked him into believing she's getting this inheritance, except it's coming any day and they're, they're hot and heavy dating. And she wants to buy this new $12 million home in Newport beach, which is like a, you know, an upscale city, you know, South of Los Angeles, about an hour's drive. And she gets a realtor and she doesn't have a car at this point, right? Her car got repossessed, but she's living with the guy. Uh, you know, the story she made up to explain why she doesn't, she needs to live with him because her apartment, and this really happened in, in another building downtown. The, it was a brand new building that went up and the fire, the, the fire sprinklers malfunctioned and it flooded the whole building. So the whole building had to be evacuated. It was big news in Los Angeles because it never happened before. So all the inhabitants of that high-end building were out of, out of a home for like three months or whatever. So that's the story she told the engineer, this Newport Beach engineer, who invented, I come to find out, touchscreen technology for phones. He was on the forefront of that. Um, so an, an important guy, uh, Bob, and... She was living with Bob under that story, like she's waiting on her apartment to dry out and be, you know, till the California rules, it's safe to move back in. So she's living with him and she gets a um, a realtor and she's driving around in his Land Rover with the realtor looking at this $12 million home in Newport Beach. And she tours the home a dozen times and she tells him, I'm going to buy this home and I'm going to put your name on it. And he's like, no, 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 that wouldn't be right. If, if we break up, I don't want to own $6 million, $6 million of your home. That's not right. And she's like, okay, just to make it fair, then add my name to the titles of your two Newport Beach homes. And she drew up the paperwork and he was going to sign. He was mm-hmm. going to sign because he had brought his kids to pick out their bedrooms in this new mansion on the beach in Newport Beach. That's how close he was. Now, as part of your your investigations work, you you did track down a daughter she had, Chelsea, and who's interviewed on the podcast and very sensitively so because she clearly had a very damaged childhood as a result of her mother. Yeah. Um, and I've no doubt it took a long time for you to build the trust with her. Yes. Um, to be interviewed and and to come on board on the podcast, but yeah. she was able to tell you about the links to Northern Ireland. Yes, it was jaw-dropping. And Chelsea is the most uh, impressive, amazing woman I have ever met in my entire life. What, you know, Chelsea told me the tale, her, her life story. She was raised by a con artist, constantly on the move, going from job to job, getting fired, and blaming Chelsea as a little girl for everything wrong in her life, you know? And Mare, according to Chelsea, always had dreams of being Irish, So she met while she was living in Tennessee with Chelsea. She meets Stephen Smith, a postal worker in Northern Ireland online. This is back in early 2000s when the Internet is still new and online dating is cool and you can have a relationship with someone halfway around the world. That's what so she engaged in this relationship with Stephen Smith. And eventually she went out to visit him and just stayed. She married him. She had him wrapped around her little finger. 
as as Chelsea will attest. And the whole time she's just abusing Chelsea. She's beating Chelsea in her head, you know, in her nether region where you can't tell what doesn't leave a mark that she could show teachers. And Chelsea talks about trying to report her mother for violence and nobody believed her because it's Chelsea's word as a little girl against the word of Marianne Smith, who by then is this inveterate con artist who can talk anyone into anything. So eventually, uh, while in Northern Ireland, to Chelsea's shock, she gets a job at a mortgage company. And Chelsea's like, my mother wasn't qualified to get a job at a mortgage, selling mortgages. Like, when did, where did that come from? But, you know, Mayor sensed an opportunity and quickly exploited it. So she starts, you know, doing mortgages in Northern Ireland and she starts using Chelsea as a pawn. She targets women who are single mothers or whose husbands aren't attentive and has Chelsea babysit for them to get into their lives. And she also notices Chelsea's penchant for uh, duplicating handwriting. Chelsea talks in the podcast about being a fan of Harriet the Spy, that movie about you know these little girls who are spies, and she can duplicate anyone's handwriting. So Mayor quickly seizes on that talent of Chelsea and says, hey, this document, I forgot to get it signed and there's not enough time to drive over. And can you just do your magic and re- forge this signature for me? She didn't say forge, just duplicate the signature for me. And Chelsea mm. being, I think, 12 or 13, Agreed. All right, I'll do it. It's my mother telling me to do it. And Chelsea says she would do that every Sunday night. Her mother would have a bunch of documents for her to sign that it was always a life or death issue. uh, Because if you don't sign, the person's not going to get their loan. I'm not going to get a commission. We're not going to be able to pay rent. You know, she felt the weight of the world on her shoulders. So, you know, she signed. Chelsea, all told, signed hundreds of mortgage documents, helped her forge. And in the end, According to police in Northern Ireland who found my blog and called me up, there are 26 victims who reported her and she got away with, you know, almost half a million dollars out of Northern Ireland. And how long or how, how did that get busted in Northern Ireland or how did she, did she leave um, in a panic? Yes. As best I can figure, um, somebody tipped her off that police were investigating. Um, I imagine, because I've talked to a couple of her victims in Northern Ireland who who don't want to be public, but from what they tell me, um, they, one of the victims tried to, when police called her and said, Hey, did you give money to Marianne Smith? She called Marianne Smith and said, there was a cop here asking, did I give you money? Are you okay? Like what's going on? So I, I imagine that happened with another victim and tipped her off. And she's like, I got to leave. And what sort of money did she embezzle and get away with at that point? Did she move the money back to the States with her? That's the thing. So uh, she had a bunch of plastic surgery in Los Angeles for procedures in the time that I knew her. Uh, and I don't know if what you know, but a Beverly Hills plastic surgeon is expensive. You know, 30 grand for this, 50 grand for that. So I imagine a lot of the money went there. Uh, and she also, the, the, she had another daughter who was taken from her as a baby. But at, at the point she moved back to Northern Ireland, that daughter who she'd never known was 18 and was allowed to contact her. So they, she started sending 4000 a month to that daughter to try to get back into her good graces. And according to that daughter's husband, now ex-husband, uh, it worked. They had a relationship. She took them out on a fancy vacation to this mansion log cabin in the Tennessee Smoky Mountains at $1,000 a night. And it worked briefly, but then all that money 
stopped coming and, and Marianne disappeared. And in, at the end of episode six, the ex-husband tells the story that they're sitting at home one night and there's a bang on the door. He opens the door and he calls, he says, there were four Irish mobsters looking for blood, looking for Marianne, demanding to know where she is, threatening to kill us if we don't tell them where she is. And at that point, the money had stopped. She disappeared. They didn't know where she was. But no, I think they were bounty hunters. But Josh, the son-in-law who we interviewed for the podcast says, no, they were Irish mobsters. So that was his perception. So where is your case at at the moment and with all the victims you've identified and all the uh, information you've collected for the police and wh- wh- what's happening with Mary Smith? <laughs> I asked you at the beginning of this, where is she now? Well, it's, 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 it's a rambling tale, but I'll be quick. Um, in episode eight of the podcast, Queen of the Con, the Irish heiress, available wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> she, I eventually, after a lot of trial and error, uh, convinced police to file charges for scamming me. So charges were filed. She was arrested. And we're going to have a trial in Los Angeles. She's going to be put on trial for scamming me. But one month before the trial, she files... In, in, in the United States, what's called a, a domestic violence restraining order against me, claiming that I'm threatening her life. And because of the way the court system works, civil court is separate but equal to criminal court, and they, they operate independently. Yet, what, one happen, what happens in one affects the other. So had a judge have granted her crazy restraining order, which was fraudulent, which was fraudulent. I'm not threatening her life. I'm trying to get her convicted. Why would I wait two years to threaten her life? (laughs) You know, but still, she took a picture of a fat guy in her church that she says is me stalking her. And the picture was far away enough that it kind of looked like a bald fat guy side profile. Maybe that's me. But of course, it's not me. I'm not, you know, of course, I'm not stalking her. Like, I'm trying to, you know, the, the trial's coming up. This is the most important day in my life I've been working two years for. I'm not going to do anything to jeopardize that, but I had to hire a lawyer at that point who explains to me, listen, if a judge grants this restraining order, you won't be allowed in the courtroom to testify against during the criminal trial. And I was just stunned. I'm like, wow, this is her greatest con yet to get me not allowed in the courtroom. And, and what does that look like to a jury? Oh, Jonathan Walton is too dangerous to be in the courtroom. You know, that's reasonable doubt right there. That, that would have got her off. But, you know, the lawyer said, listen, the, the advantage you have is you haven't been served with the civil lawsuit yet, the civil restraining order, so just don't get served. And I didn't know what that meant. He just said, don't answer the door when people come knocking. And I live in a big city. I already don't answer the door if I don't know someone, you know, <laughs> if I don't know you're coming, I'm not going to answer the door because that's how home invasions happen. Home invasions are a regular thing in Los Angeles. People knock on the door and, and, and hold you up and come in and steal all your money and leave. So I don't answer the door anyway, but shortly after the lawyer advised me, yeah, people started knocking on my door every day, 5 a.m., midnight, noon, 2 a.m., 1 a.m., pounding. And yeah, I didn't answer the door. And luckily, the trial started before she could serve me the restraining order. So it was irrelevant. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I testified against her, Chelsea, Chelsea flew all the way from Tennessee to testify against her mother 
Um, Bob testified against her. Another victim, Heather, testified against her. And she didn't testify in her own defense, nor could she find a single solitary person to be a witness what a good person she is. So nobody testified for her. But the jury was instructed not to hold that against her when they deliberated. And they found her guilty. And she was sentenced to five years in jail. You know, seeing her led away in handcuffs was just such a relief uh, and cathartic for me. It was like the end of a, you know, I won. She went to jail. And I got, I got a restitution order. But, you know, she has no funds at this point. So I couldn't get you know, you can't take blood from a stone. I couldn't get anything, but I have a court order that's good forever. Whenever she does get money, I'll get it. But because of COVID, she got out early. And because of COVID, when she got out, Northern Ireland, she got out in December of 2020, Northern Ireland was on lockdown. So they all that the extradition plan they had in place when she was released in June of 2021 was on hold because they're on lockdown and in December. So she got away. She fled California. We found her. She's living in Maine. She's on a border town with Canada. I think her plan is to slip into Canada. But while COVID has helped her in one respect, it's hurt her in another because the Canadian border is shut down. You can only fly into Canada from certain airports. They shut the border down. You can't drive in. It's one of their COVID precautions. So she is she's scamming people in Maine. And how I know that is... Um, on the Dr. Phil show, Dr. Phil sent a reporter to knock on her door. She must have known something was happening because the reporter that Dr. Phil sent said, eyewitnesses saw her running from her home before we got here. And then the reporter started talking to her neighbors. And to my amazement and, and perpetual delight, the neighbors told the reporter, oh, we know who she is. We're listening to the podcast. So wow. it's like, yes. It's like my purpose has been fulfilled. That was my plan. When I was writing these episodes back in May of this year, I was hoping and praying, please let the right ears hear this so they know who she is and can avoid getting scammed. And by God, that's exactly what happened. But here's the most shocking thing. One of those neighbors emailed me and said what I could not believe, that um, they there are a circle of people right now in her life who believe her. There are a circle of people who she's bought cell phones for, uh, who are, she put on her plant, like good friends she's made in Maine, who think, I don't know what they think. I made everything up. Dr. Phil is making things up. We're all conspiring to get her. And, and she's telling the truth. They're standing by her. They think it's a lie. They think it's all... Which is just, you know what, though? I mean, with what's going on in the political climate in, in, in the United States now, with people thinking vaccines are Bill Gates's way to inject you with a, a, a microchip. Yeah, people believe a lot of crazy things. But the, the circle of people she has supporting her now believe that she is innocent, that I'm making everything up. Isn't it extraordinary how somebody like that, and she's surely going to jail and been exposed in the way she has, that should have been a loss of everything. She still has the ability to go to a new place where she's no connections and to establish herself again and to start it all over. And that is that sort of, if you'd call it a skill. Uh, it's a power. You know, a genetic fault, whatever it is. Yeah. It's what those con artists have. Yes. In spades. Yeah, I'm still stunned. I'm still stunned by it, but it really does speak to her 
power of persuasion and how convincing she is to, because listen, when we met back in 2013, if there was a documentary or a podcast about this woman being a crook, I'm not going to be friends with her. I don't need to hear her side. Obviously, there are news articles about you being a crook. Get away from me. But with the preponderance of, of, of news coverage and, and court records and police records, it, it's irrelevant to these people who believe her, which mm. I can't. I, I hope to talk to them one day. And two things finally, Jonathan, yes. I noticed from that very first meeting she had, that party in your apartment where she came into your life, she divided and conquered at that. She separated you and some other of your neighbours and, you know, told lies and made sure that you didn't communicate with one another so you didn't have the power of maybe meeting up and comparing sort of stories. stories. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was a um, brilliant move on her part. Yeah. And she's obviously going to continue that wherever she goes in life and this time you're the enemy. But um, I like to think that the money you lost to her, you may have made back from the work you have done. You know, this has to be one of the, the biggest stories that you have worked on in your career and, you know, one that you can hand on heart say you've lived. Here's the beautiful irony about this, which I fully embrace and am grateful for. Um it wasn't until the podcast that I, I got paid back and more. Mm-hmm. You know, all the other coverage I didn't make a dime from because I was just sharing my story. You know, I will repeat what I said on the stand during the trial when her defense attorney asked me, why are you so public with the story? And I said to him, by the time I'm done, the world will know her face so she can never scam anyone again. Mm. And I still feel that way. That is my number one mission. And I'm grateful to the podcast and whatever comes next for, for serving that end. Because at the end of the day, I just want to expose her. You know, publicity is kryptonite to con artists. They can't skip. And that's what's so powerful. You know, the, the sad thing is victims never want to go public because they're embarrassed and ashamed. But that's the one thing that can stop a con artist in their tracks. If everyone stands up and points a finger and says, she did this to me, you take her power. She can't do that to anyone else. But, you know, I'm an anomaly, sadly. The majority of victims don't want to say anything to anyone, much less go to police or make a stink, much less talk to the media or talk to you. The majority of con victims want to, you know, cower in a corner in shame and never breathe a word to anyone, letting the con artist like Marianne Smith get away and scam other people. But, you know, I didn't want that to happen. I immediately wanted to stop her from hurting people. It seems to me when she met you and she conned you that she she did that to the wrong person because nowadays, for sure, if anybody Googles the name Mayor Smith or any other variations on it, they will be left under no illusion what she's like. Yeah, and that, that fills me with satisfaction and a purpose and I'm, I'm grateful. Thank you. So Jonathan Malden, thank you very much. Thank you. It was a pleasure speaking. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com, produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. If you like the podcast and love true crime, why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe.
Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take the Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume the Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume the Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary.